Hey, you know what? Um, you're worthy. Isn't that what we struggle about? That we're not worthy? That our sin, uh, here, here's what I really want to get across to you. Um, your behavior does not disqualify you. How many of you guys thought your behavior disqualified you? I did. It's our blindness, not seeing the truth about ourselves, that disqualifies us. God withholds no good thing. Amen? And so uh, I really wanted people to, to really understand this, that you are worthy, you're valuable. Um, that's what all those parables in Luke 15 were about, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. Hey, you're valuable. I'm, I'm, I'll, I will come from a far country, give up everything, reduce my, I became poor so that you may become rich because you're that valuable to me. Does that make sense to you guys? So um, now the flip side of that, people then you think, oh, well, you're just giving them license to sin. No, Jesus was after their heart nonstop. And in fact, he, he, he really got after the religious leaders, as you guys know, because he goes, hey, you're, you guys are following all these external rules, but you're far from me, right? And he said, you guys are whitewashed tombs, meaning, hey, you're trying to look good on the outside and uh, washing yourself with the ceremonial waters and don't touch, don't eat. And I see church still doing stuff like that. Don't touch, don't eat. Colossians is really strict on that. He's like, why do you act like you're still under the elemental rules of the law when you're not? Enjoy yourself, is what he's saying. And so anyway, what Jesus was after was their heart. And so they're going to think, when, when you teach radical grace, some people think you're giving them a license to stand. They don't understand that when you know you're perfectly loved and forgiven, oh, man, the goodness of God leads you to change. So it's, it's kind of crazy, but uh, uh, he goes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you in your heart. And so when, when, uh, here's what I'm confident of is when you put Jesus in a good light, he's not going to scold us when we meet him and go, you made me too good. The scandal of grace, right? It's, it's, uh, so, you know, <laughs> it's so funny to me because uh, uh, when you teach God's anger and you're going to send everybody to hell, the, the, the whole religious community will applaud you. And, and it's just... And then when you go, no, God's perfect love and he loves you, oh, that's scandalous. That's heresy, right? And I just believe love never fails. I believe that's real, and I believe uh, it never fails. Amen? So uh, we will teach that until uh, we're done because, as she knows, it's never really bothered me that much, that, that, right? It's when people say stuff, I'm like, oh, relax. It's just, it's just them. It's... Uh, so anyway, because I'm after you. I'm after you. I want you to live and live life more abundantly. Does that make sense to you guys? And I think one of the tragic things I see with most ministries is sin consciousness. And, and so we'll kind of cover that today. But the whole point of Jesus was to show you that you are worthy to be blessed, prospered, healed, everything. That uh, your sin doesn't set, withhold the, the... Sin does not stop the favor of God or the blessing of God. It said, well, you were still dead in sin is when I saved you. Hallelujah. Amen? So if that was true, now that you're righteous, how much more? That's his whole thing. I will freely give you all things. So that's what I want to get is I'm just trying to root out some of the nonsense we, we are taught. And so that's what I kind of want to cover today. Fair enough? But I want to read something. I was, I, was, uh, I was playing around on the internet, which I do all the time, and it says, um, possessing a God-centered assurance versus a man-centered assurance, because the law was all about what you could do if then, right? Deuteronomy 20, if you do all these things, don't eat this, don't drink a glass of wine, then I'll bless you. Sounds like the, the Pharisees, whitewashed tombs, right? And we're supposed to be all done with that is what Colossians says. So we're supposed to be Christ-centered. It says here, this is, it says, our call is not to be self-absorbed in our thinking, wondering if God can use us, but to move forward in a God-centered assurance that nothing can disqualify us from God's ability to use us. You guys believe that? 
There's nothing you're doing right now in your life or have done or are going to do that will disqualify you. That's good news. That's freedom. So it says, if you're struggling with shyness, God can use you. If you're struggling with anxiety, God can use you. If you're struggling, and I, I would even actually change this to uh, God will use you and is using you versus can. If you're struggling with a boring personality, God can use you. If you're struggling with being poor, God can use you. If you're struggling with gift limitations, God can use you. If you're not good looking like me, God can use you. <laughs> hey, that's uh. But do not ever think there's a special place that you must arrive before you can be used by God. If so, you may be sitting on the sidelines for a long time waiting to qualify yourself to play in God's game of life. Amen? So, and I see a lot of these teachings. So let's go to that first slide. I, I just want to kind of, I was sharing my, just writing my thoughts down today. Um, is God withholding his blessing because of your sin? And I put it in quotes there because a lot of you guys think sin's behavior, right? So you're, your bad behavior, which we all have a little bit of, um, only comes from darkness because we can't see what's already true about us. So it's not your behavior. Believing the wrong thing leads to behavior, but that's not what he's after. He's after the heart, the spiritual condition of your heart. And so um, here's one that I see a lot of people and almost every financial ministry talks about this, and I think it hurts people. Are you blessed because of your stewardship? I don't think so. In fact, uh, uh, I talk to people. Here's, here's typically what I get. Um, when I'm talking to Christian businessmen and things like that, they go, um, you know, if God knows how you're going to use it, then he'll bless you. You ever heard that? I'm going, would you open your eyes? I go, look at Hollywood, look at rock stars. I go, they don't have that weird condition. So they just go kick butt. Because as a man thinking in his heart, so is he. They're not, they're not worried about their stewardship. They're, they're just going because, hey, I'm going to be the best in the world at what I do, and they go after it. Somehow Christians go, well, only if I'm going to use it for the right thing is he going to bless me with it. Nonsense. Nonsense. I just don't believe it. Because I don't, I, I've never, I, I don't, I've, I've never, uh, that may be a, a, a coincidence, but uh, people who think they can just go be successful typically become successful. Does that make sense to you guys? That's the co-creation that he's made us in his image. And so anyway, I want, they use that weird, that, that parable of the stewardship as somehow um, that God's not, well, here, here's, I see it flipped on people. The law always flips back on you and you condemn yourself because they, here's how it's taught most of the time. Um, if you're not a good steward with money, then uh, he's going to take it away from you. So until you, until you can become a good steward and he can trust you with it, you're gonna, not going to have any with it. Now, how does that fit with he's blessed you with every spiritual blessing? And here's the tragedy I see. If people are struggling with money, they typically get inward focused and they go, I must not be going a good steward. Guys, we all see dimly. If we're going to brag in, how, in our stewardship, then good luck, right? So I, I, I see businessmen all over use the money for all kinds of crazy things. And if I tell them, well, you know, God's only going to bless you uh, and if you're going to be a good steward, he'd look at me like, well, how, how is it happening? See how it, it becomes a negative? And really, that whole parable, we were talking about this the other night at my house. He was talking to the Jews going, listen, um, you should be reducing people's debts, forgiving debts, not holding things against people. And because you haven't done that, it's us versus them, where you're not forgiving the world of their sin is what you're supposed to do through me. So all nations are going to be blessed through me. I'm taking away your stewardship of the things I've given you. 
And that's why he said, hey, you know what? People in this world are smarter than the people of the sons of light because the Jews were holding sins against people versus forgiving. And he goes, even worldly people understand this better. If I want to curry favor with the world, what am I going to do? Forgive their debts. Well, what did Jesus come to do? Forgive the debt. It has nothing to do with money. It's just, the parable is, 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 a, is a, strange, a strange outcome that you didn't expect. Does that make sense? So anyway, relax. He's, you're perfectly fine to be blessed right now. Isn't that better? That's better. So, are you a son fully loved, forgiven, worthy of the best? Yeah, that's a rhetorical question. So, and then here's one for you. Some of you this will maybe be a mystery. This was for me, actually. Um, I see people all the time, their life's kicking butt in certain areas, whether it's their business, whatever, all of a sudden they get saved and now their life gets crazy. What happened? They became sin conscious. They became law conscious. That's what Paul's talking about. He said, listen, I didn't lust until somebody said don't lust. I was alive until the commandments made me die. And then I became the biggest luster on the planet. Who will save me from this wretched? So the law makes you weak and beggarly because you judge yourself based on your ability to be blessed, whereas the grace says, you know what? You are blessed. Go have fun. Does that make sense? So you're a son. Sons don't work to be blessed. Sons inherit the blessing of Jesus. You guys with me so far? Okay, so, and the best way to, to look at this is uh, Jesus was the word of God made flesh, right? So I want to show you from scripture, how did Jesus treat people? And let's use that as the, the, the real litmus test of whether we're worthy to be blessed or it's based on our behavior and our ability to, to be good and steward and all these different things. Fair enough? Because I really want to get across that he'll use you and he is using you now and you're worthy to receive every blessing now because you've already received them is what he said. So it's really just opening our eyes to what's already true about us. Does that make sense? So, all right, let's go to the first slide here. And I'll go through these scriptures quickly. All right, Luke 15. <clears throat> this is, and uh, these are classic ones. I just wanted to show you again. The prodigal son, the woman caught in adultery. So we're gonna see whether Jesus based his forgiveness, his blessing based on their behavior or something different. Does that make sense? So um, the... Uh, the prodigal son, was he a good steward of what was given to him? Did God withhold the blessing from him? No? So is he going to withhold the blessing from you? What do they teach you in your Bible study? Yeah. <laughs> right? It's nonsense. That, that's, the whitewash, that's the whitewashed tombs. I, hey, I'm a little better steward, so I'm worthy to be blessed. Nonsense. You just believe you're going to be blessed. Amen? So, Luke 15, 18, I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, so this is us. This is the prodigal son. Father, I have sinned against heaven before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of the hired servants. What's the father's response? Jesus is talking about the father here. He goes, let me tell you what the father's really like. Because you think, it, hey, Jews, it's, and the world today, the Christian community, religious community, still think it's based on your behavior. And Jesus doesn't change. The way he treated these people is the way he's going to treat you. Right? Because he doesn't change. So, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That's most Christians. I believe that with all my heart because they start looking at, oh, I did this, I didn't do this. Oh, man, I bought my boat instead of giving to church. Man, I got guilt guilted into giving away stuff because I had nice stuff and they're like, oh, if you have this, then I'm like, I got that. I guess I'm not a good Christian. And it's just, anyway, that was stupid of me. So, <laughs> we burned lots of good books and albums and all kinds of stuff, didn't we? Get them away. <laughs> oh, jeez. Now they're worth a lot of money. The vinyls are coming back, right? So anyway, 
That was told demons gonna jump on you if you listen to that. So, so guess what we all did? We all played it backwards, right? Don't play that backwards. He's gonna say something satanic. Oh, cool. So, <laughs> at least I did. Anybody else do that? It was either ACDC or Led Zeppelin or the, in the, the, the Beatles, right? No wonder the world thinks we're crazy because half the time Christians are crazy. Like, that is not how Jesus reacted. Jesus didn't do that. He wouldn't burn albums. He'd go, man, good tune. Who wrote that? Guess what? I did it because I wrote it through you. So anyway. So he, he doesn't feel worthy to be a son, and he rose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's his condition. That's not, let's see what God's condition is. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found, and they began to be merry. So that guy didn't think he was worthy to be blessed because he wasn't a good steward, right? Wasted his inheritance and all these things. What's the father's reaction? No change, let's party. You didn't lose any inheritance, amen? Now, there's a lot of different spiritual truths in there. I'm not going to get into that. I'm just showing you how did Jesus and the Father react versus how, what, what we're taught. Does that make sense? All right, let's just go to that next parable then. The, <clears throat> the woman caught in the act, if we go to that next slide. This is one of my favorites because it's so clear of who God is. And, and uh, uh, the challenge of, of is Scripture inerrant? Well, even if Scripture is not, meaning there's no errors in the Bible, right? You've all been taught that, right? And then I would just go, well, how many translations are there? One of them's got to be wrong. Right? And even if it's perfect, you're typically going to translate it incorrectly because it says we all see dimly, but when we see him face to face, then we're going to, the light's going to come on for us. We're going to go, ah, it was all good. Right? So, so here's, here's the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the, the, I would call them the pastors of today, the Bible school teachers of today. Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now, I was thinking about this today. I go, you know what? If, uh, um, if a lady was caught in the very act of adultery and somebody drug her into the church, how would most church people react? Would they react like Jesus or would they react in a different way? Most of them in a different way, wouldn't it? pretty amazing to me. I, I have to catch myself even sometimes going, oh man, how would, no, yeah, that's not how Jesus would react. Because there's certain times, I get it, we want to hit people with a bat, right? And then I'm like, wait a minute, I deserve to be hit with a bat because I've messed up, so how are we supposed to respond as the, as the body? Does that make sense? And that's where, anyway, I was just thinking something else, but I won't go down that rabbit hole. So, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law told us that this woman should be stoned. So the Bible says we should kill this woman. Does the Bible have any errors? I don't know, you ask yourself. Are we supposed to kill her? The Bible says so. That's what drives me nuts when people go, the Bible says it's so clear. I go, boy, are you going to be shocked when you meet Jesus? The law tells us, I would say today, the Bible says, whenever I see people saying the Bible says, I go, it says lots of things, man. Be careful how you judge because it's gonna turn back on you if you're judging with the law. Guess what? You're the one that's gonna be feel guilty. And here's a good test. Tell people they're perfectly loved and radically forgiven and whose teeth gnash? 
Right, Chris? The religious leader's teeth will gnash, won't they? Don't listen to people that teach God loves people. There's a hell, and I'm going to send people there, doggone it. Isn't that what they do? It never changes, is what Paul, what Solomon says. Hey, there's nothing new under the sun. It's always going to be that way. When you share how truly good I am, the religious people are going to gnash their teeth. Isn't that wild? It's, but guess what? The sinners rejoice, man. When we're around, when, when people, and you tell them, hey, you know what? You're going to meet the same Jesus. When you pass out of this body, you're going to meet that Jesus. You know what they do? The first time in my life, I feel sure. It's so awesome to me. And then everything else starts to follow behind it. The, they start to prosper in their lives more. Their, their, their relationships get better. Um, their body starts to heal naturally, actually, because we get the guilt and shame and junk out of there. So the, the Bible says we should stone this woman, but what do you say? And, he is the, and then he writes on the ground twice. You guys heard me teach that. I'm not going to get into that. But the second set of stones, when he wrote on the, the temple floor, when, when Moses came down from the mountain, did he show them to the people? No. Was the second set of stones ever, ever broken? No. Those second set of stones are in Jesus. And where are you? In Jesus. So you know how he looks at you? As if you've never broken the stones. Isn't that beautiful? That's the, that's the whole symbology and go, what's going on there. So anyway, so he writes on the ground twice, and then it says this. It says, those who heard it being convicted by Jesus, or who? Their conscience. What, is, what does Scripture say in the New Covenant where it says, you're, once you realize that Jesus died to, be, to show his perfect love for you, your heart being sprinkled, you should have no more consciousness of sin. Amen? So that's what convicted them. So the old guys, right? The old perverts. <clears throat> then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. That's what he's saying. Is the old, sorry, Dave. <laughs> he's laughing at me. Isn't that the truth? Like when, when guys start railing on that, I'm like, oh, boy. I, I don't trust him around my wife. So, because the law stirs it up, guys. That's what they don't get. And they're, they're still battling in their willpower trying to go, why am I sinning? And they get all angry. So, and that's where Jesus is like, just relax and know that I'm not condemning you. Oh, okay, now I don't have to be judgmental of others. So then who's heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning the oldest, even to the last. So the old covenant's fading away is the, all the symbology here, and Jesus was left alone. So is the law gone? Is the, is the, um, the allegory about Isaac and Ishmael and the two mothers, the two covenants, what does he say to do with, with uh, the one given on Mount Sinai? Throw it out, Right? So that's thrown out. All that's left is you and Jesus. So what's the reaction going to be? You've never broken any stones because you're perfect in me. Isn't that beautiful? He came to give us life. It says the law written and engraved on stones does what? Kills you, but the spirit gives life. So the law is gone and all that's left is the spirit, Jesus and her. So what is she going to experience? Life. So, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one with the woman, he said to her, woman, where are your accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Now, we were talking about this the other night too, I think, is, is uh, the accuser, Satan is called the accuser. Right? So many times I see Christians use this thing and they become the Satan. They become the accuser. And they start throwing the book at people. 
they've become the accuser. Who was the accuser with the woman caught in the act of adultery? The woman putting the book at him. So guess who becomes the accuser? We do. When, we, when it's just with Jesus, there's no judgment. But when somebody with a book, there's an accuser. Does that make sense? Because that's what it literally means. It says, the Satan, the accuser. So anyway, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, oh, there's so much in there. I can't, I get, Jesus rose himself up. Oh, this is so good to me. So, because he was raised for our justification. There's so much uh, symbolism here. But he said, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. See, there he said it. Don't go ever sin again. He's not giving her a license to sin. He said, don't do that again. Is that what he's saying? If he's saying, never have bad behavior again, how well do you guys do? How'd you do today? See, I don't think we take the, when people go, well, you're just giving them a license to sin, I go, no, I think I'm taking it more literally than you, actually. When, I, when I'm making Jesus way bigger than us, because none of us can go do this on our own. So if he's saying, never mess up again, how well did he do? Well, I know I'm in it. And I think you guys are in it. Right? What he's trying to get across is, there's no condemnation in Christ. You're worthy to be blessed. The old covenant was nailed to a cross, the thing that he used against you. There's nothing there, guys. There's nothing there. All that is is unconditional love and forgiveness. You're a son. You can't ever lose it just like the prodigal son. You guys get it? So that should free some of you guys up. If you've been a bad steward, who's been a, a great steward in all honesty? None of us, right? It's, it, once we start putting levels on people's, well, they did this because this, I go, no, it's just their belief level that they could go do that. And that's really what I'm trying to get is just to heal your heart, that he loves you perfectly. And the same Jesus you see here is the same Jesus that we're, he's, he'll never change. Fair enough? And the Father will never change. Jesus said, if you've seen the Father, you've seen everything. You've seen the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in a body. The fullness of the God, Godhead was in a body. And I came to show you what I'm really like. I'm not going to judge you based on pages in a book. I'm going to write my teachings on your heart. You know what the New Covenant says? That's why I found it so fascinating where people are still trying to find life. And I go, I think you're probably going to interpret it wrong. doesn't mean we don't go read it, but he goes, you'll know me here. And uh, what's so fascinating to me is when you see people who truly have given up on themselves that I can't do this thing, they've left the church or whatever, and you go, if you could believe in Jesus, what would he look like? They describe Jesus perfectly. It's so awesome because he said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all of you and everybody's going to know me from the least to the greatest. And they always do something like this. Well, God, my God would love everybody, including the homosexuals. Look at the Christian community today. Do they look like they love the homosexuals? I just saw some nonsense. This, a friend of mine's teaching. Well, there's a war against this. I go, it hurts my heart, actually. I'm like, holy smokes. How far away from Jesus is he right now? Right? He's become the Satan. The accuser. And I'm like, wow, man. Wow. So, we just got to be careful that we don't judge. Does that, does that make sense? And we're not condoning their behavior. What they don't realize is if you can unconditionally love people, the grace of God leads them to change. Is the goodness of God leads them to change. We just share the goodness of what's already true about them, and it changes their heart, and then the behavior follows. So does that make sense to you guys? So just be careful when you start hearing, well, we're in a war against this, and we're war against that. I thought the wars were over. 
I've, I've defeated it. I've paraded it like a, I've paraded the enemy like a parade. I've conquered sin and death. It's over. Amen? So, because I just don't see that's how Jesus did it. How did Jesus respond? Who told you that? Who's condemning you? I didn't condemn you. And he'll always be that way. Does this make sense to you guys? You guys understand that I'm not going, hey, Mike's condoning sin. He, he knows, listen, sin's bad. It, it hurts us. He gets it. But he's not condemning you of it. He's going, hey, stop doing that because it hurts you. Right? Stop drinking so much because you're going to have a hangover tomorrow. It's going to hurt. You guys get it? It's not this, well, you better never do this. That, no, no. That's not how he is. He goes, I'm going to write my teachings on your heart, and you're going to just learn to follow me. And if you mess up, what's he going to do? Treat you like the prodigal son. His, his blessing is inexhaustible, which is just beautiful to me. Does this help you guys? All right. So, and then he said, now go and sin no more. And sin, you've... We've covered this quite a bit. Hamartia is ha, meaning no or without. And martia is portion or form. So without portion or form, a distorted view of ourselves. That's what sin actually is. So when Adam and Eve ate from the wrong tree, right, what happened to them? Did God change his blessing or his intimacy with them? No. They, they, with, they withheld themselves, and God showed up on time as if nothing changed. Who had... What happened to them? They started to believe that their blessing was based on the good, bad tree. My blessing is based on whether I'm good or bad. And I'm, I know I've got a conscience now and I'm not that good, so God must be mad at me. Was that true? No, that was sin. I have a distorted image of who I am, which causes all the problems. Does that make sense? When you know you're perfectly loved, forgiven, and worthy of all, everything, his inheritance, because of one man's obedience. It says, by one man's obedience, you've been perfected for how long? Forever. And that wasn't your obedience. It was his obedience. That's why it says bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ because if one man was obedient, was every man obedient? Yes. yes. That's the gospel. Does that make sense? Anyway. All right. So let's go to the next slide. Now let's just go to the really, what the new covenant is. So, and this is all just, I don't know why I just felt led to, to teach this today because I, I just think I see so many Christians beat themselves up and don't feel worthy to be blessed because of what's going on or, or maybe their life isn't where... Um, listen, we all, have a dis we all have somewhat of a distorted view of ourselves, don't we? And so whether it's a financial challenge, a sickness challenge, I go, he's not mad at you, and, and uh, it's just some part of, uh, that we can't see clearly. He, so what he's trying to do is that I'm trying to see that you can see who I am and that you're perfectly loved and forgiven. And I think once we get that, man, it's the most powerful thing in the world. So is really don't condemn yourself if you're in any of these situations because the truth is we're all in some situation where uh, it's, we can have days of, of, of heaven on earth, but it's not perfect yet, is it? Let's look around. So that means we all kind of have a distorted view yet and the world does. So anyway, for Hebrews 8.10. So in the beginning he goes, listen, it's not gonna be like the covenant I gave you at Mount Sinai. What did he tell him at Mount Sinai? What was given? The law. And the law was given to, to have people obey, or what was it for? To make them sin more. The law was given so that sin would increase. It was to show them that they couldn't do it. And that's what scripture says. It says, listen, even, from, even, the, even before, uh, all, all were in Adam's, what it said. So even if you didn't sin in the similitude or the same way that Adam did, and I didn't count anything against you yet, it's what scripture says, because the law was not given, did they still die? 
Yes, that's what scripture says. So you didn't even know that you were sinning, but it was, didn't matter how good you were, how much of a servant you were, you were going to die. Now the new covenant, if you're in Christ, we go, you have to know in order to live. That's a bad covenant then. The old covenant was better. Does that make sense? The new covenant is, you don't even know, but you're going to experience life. Just like, we'll get into that. But anyway, it's good. It's actually good news. It's, it's, we're out of this thing. Jesus and the Father cut a perfect covenant with better blood that speaks of better things and better promises. You know why the promises are better? Because you can't screw them up. They're not dependent on you. The old covenant was if then. If you do these things then. And that's, unfortunately, that's what's preached from almost every Bible school and minute. It's like, no, that's not what he's saying He's saying that God was in Christ reconciling creation. So this is the covenant that I will make with the house of the Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Isn't that what he was trying to do to the Israelites initially? Hey, you're going to be my God, and I'm gonna be, you're going to be my peeps. This is going to be a good deal. And what was their response? Give us something to do. <laughs> And he's like, oh, no, if you think it's up to you, don't even set an animal to touch this mountain because be, their heart's going to be spiked through with spears or I forget what it says. What does it say? It says something about daggers or spears or pierced. Or, their conscience is going to be seared is basically what he's saying. Because I will put my laws in their mind, write them on their hearts. I will be their God. You shall be my people. No ifs, ands, buts. He's going to do it all. All right? None of them shall teach his neighbor, none of his brothers, saying, know the Lord for the... I was just watching this thing on ESPN. And he goes, he's forgotten God in his life. No, you sound like an old covenant preacher. So, none of them shall teach his neighbor, none of his brothers saying, know the Lord, for how many people are going to know him? All. From the least of them to the greatest. For I will be. Who's, who's, who's doing the action here? God. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and their lawless deeds, I need to have them confess. What does he say? Their sins and their lawless deeds, I'll remember no more. Isn't that cool? A new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. So how many lessons should we learn from the old covenant? I get really nervous when pastors start teaching the lessons of this in the old covenant. I go, you're always going to screw it up. Because it's, you're, you're, you're missing the deeper meaning that it was about Jesus. It was something truth about Jesus and how man was looking at Jesus. So he is the life and the resurrection. So it's really, it gets difficult when we start reading the old scripture and we see God killing everybody, right? Well, how does that work? Well, Jesus came to show a new reality. Hey, as your Bible says, you, want, you think I'm gonna kill people, but I'm not gonna kill people. Your anger is gonna kill people. It's the work of the flesh. You guys get it? So he's good all the time. He's the life and the resurrection. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. So every time you see scripture killing people, etc., it's really, we have to look at it through a lens of he's perfect love and he doesn't kill anybody. In fact, anytime, anytime Jesus showed up at a funeral, what happened? They lived. Weird, huh? So a new covenant, he's made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. When did it vanish away completely? 8070, when the temple was completely destroyed, he said, hey, all this is going to happen in this Genea, these 40 years. He prophesied that. 40 years later, on the dot, the whole religious system was thrown on its head, and they haven't sacrificed a lamb ever since. It was ready to vanish away, and eventually it did. That's why Moses was always fading, going away. The old covenant, hey, the old guys left first. That's a, that, all that's about. And there's a new covenant that's better. He remembers your sins how much? 
No mas. So if he, if he, ha, if he keeps no record of wrong and, and uh, he's never going to uh, remember your sin, who's worthy to be blessed? Everyone. Even the guys who are going to use the money for the wrong thing. That's supposed to free you up instead of going, I got to be a better steward. I gotta, who's the guy that knows that guy? Uh, Dave Ramsey. I got to get Dave Ramsey and do all this stuff. You're going to kill yourself. It's going to condemn you. Amen? It's going to condemn you. That's what I say about that. So anyway, anytime you start putting, I got to do this better, you're not living in the new covenant of I already am this. You're I am not and I need to improve. The new covenant is I am because Jesus is I am. Does that make sense? Does that help you guys? Nothing against any of that. I just, oh, it just drives me nuts because I see people get so condemned out of that. Right? You're like, oh, I can't have a boat because... Right? Does this help you? <laughs> you guys are too serious. Let's go to the next slide. Let's finish. So this is kind of supposed to be fun, but I don't know if you guys are taking this seriously. So, all right. Romans 5, 17. Romans, I could stay in Romans forever. I love this, this whole thing. For if by one man's offense, death was the reign, death was going to be the, um, and death doesn't just mean you're going to die. It means stuff starts to fade away or things start happening that God doesn't intend for us to be living in. So, for by one man's offense, death was the righteous rule or the reigning. This was going to rule. Through the one, much more. Go always, go always look for the much more. It's always this comparison. He goes, if this was true about the first Adam, much more is it true about the last Adam. Does that make sense to you guys? The law were a type and shadow. So, every time you saw something happen of death in the old covenant, what do you experience in the new covenant? Life. And Adam all die in Christ. How many live? All live. When the law was given, 3,000 people died. When the Spirit was given, 3,000 people lived. Get it? So the law was a type and shadow of good things to come. So every time you saw death, the law, hey, you're going to be judged based on the good, bad tree. The new covenant is you're going to be judged based on Jesus. And how many? All is what it says. Amen? But people just don't dare go there. So... By one man's offense, death reigned through one. Much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Where were they condemned? Even so, through one man's... If that's true, what's even? Equal, right? So, even so, through one man's righteous act... The free gift came to all. Hallelujah. Our job is not to get them in. Our job is to share the good news of what's already been done. Does that make sense? It's done, guys. So Jesus said it's done. Ministry says it's still not done. So through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. His judgment, see, here's what I think. Is, uh, I was reading a lot about this today, actually. It was because, man, this is what people struggle with. God's, how many of you guys know that God is love? But he's also just. I'll show you in a, in, in a couple of these services. His justice is mercy. He goes, I have no justice until I show mercy and forgiveness. I'll show you. He equates justice with mercy. So unless you're showing mercy, it's not just to him. Isn't that wild? And we think, mm. at least I didn't sin like them. Get him, God. 
right? <laughs> you, be, you look like Satan, the accuser. So isn't that what he told the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Hey, you're descendants of who? The devil. Imagine telling Bible instructors they're sons of the devil today. <laughs> they would spin through the roof. So, but if they're, you know what? If they're using this to accuse, what have they become? Sons of the devil. Because the devil said you must perform in order to be a son. And Jesus said, no, no, no. You're a son because you are a son. Right? Sons don't work for it. They inherit it. And through one man's obedience, you can inherit. So, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to how many men? All men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. You see how he's doing this? If one man was good enough to make all sinners, then one man's good enough to make all righteous. Right? Moreover, the law entered that the offense might, what? Increase. So that's where it's so ironic to me. I was, I was sharing with a friend. He was like, man, I want to read the Bible more. And I was like, he's like, what's the best translation? I'm like, hmm, Jesus is the best translation. It's true. Because I love this guy. And, and, uh, and I was like, hey, bro, do you love your kids? Yeah. Would you ever torture your kids? What? No. Will they always be your kids and you'd love them like your kids no matter what they did? Yeah. Sounds like you know what the Bible's all about. So if you're going to read one, read it through the lens of Jesus Christ. Not a recommended one, but anyway. Does that make sense? He is the correct translation. And it, see, here's the problem. We've made the word of God higher than the word of God, Jesus Christ. So we've elevated the Bible above Jesus, and Jesus is the one that needs to be elevated above Scripture. Scripture needs to line up to Jesus, not Jesus line up to Scripture. We've made all kinds of crazy theologies making Jesus fit. And Jesus came, and he goes, you've heard it written like this, but I came to do what? You've heard it said, do this, but I say, love your enemies. He, he, he totally contradicted this all the time, right? He came eating and drinking. <gasps> And he called him a wine bibber and stopped drinking that grape juice. Why'd they call him a wine bibber? Was he drinking Welch's? <laughs> weird. It's just so weird to me. Anyway, because here's what I saw. I saw, I, I, didn't, I didn't really care. So growing up, I'm like, I'm just going after life, man. And then all the, the, the church kids, they got to college. And then what happened? Ramiko, you saw it. They got crazy. Does that make sense? Because they were like, I can't do this. Don't touch. Don't that. What Paul's talking about in Colossians. So the minute they're out away from their parents, what happened? I'm like, man, I was done with that at 14. <laughs> the toilet bowl is not that fun in the morning, right? You kind of, you go, that wasn't very fun. So I'm glad I'm done with that. So you guys get it? So anyway. The law entered so that sin would increase so that they could see that nobody could do it. Follow me? But where sin abounded, what happened? Grace hyperabounded. Superabounded is what it says. And then you'll hear stuff like this. Well, that's hyper grace. There's no other grace but hyper grace, guys. There's no other grace but hyper grace. Where sin abounded, grace hooperabounded is what it said. Where we get hyper. Isn't that cool? Where we get uberman, hooperman, superman. So is there anything that'll separate you from being blessed? 
No, where sin increased, what happened? Grace hyper-increased all the more because what was true about the old covenant where you don't deserve and you're going to lead to death, what's true about the new covenant that you're already perfect and righteous in Christ is going to hyper-abound in your case. And I remember the first time I heard Joseph Prince preach this, I about fell out of my chair because it was so radically different from what I was been hearing because he was like, you know what? Here's what I do. When I mess up the most, I ask for the biggest blessing in my life. I was like, wait a minute, what did he just say? Rewind. Man, I was taught if you chew gum, you're going to quench the spirit. You mean, if I sin like an idiot, nothing stops me from the blessing of God? No, his grace hooper bounds. Now, is he saying, go sin, so that grace will abound? No, but that's what, that's the, that's what will happen. Isn't that stupid? <laughs> I love it. So what he's trying to show you is if the old covenant was valid, the new covenant is way better, guys. And every promise is yes and amen. There's nothing you can do to keep yourself unworthy from the blessings. Does this make sense to you guys? All right, you can get to your feet. Hopefully this makes sense. You guys were really serious on me. So that as sin and death reigned, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life or the, age, the life of the age is literally what it means through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hey, guess what? Good news. You're in Jesus Christ. Fully blessed, fully prospered, fully healed. Everything's worthy because one man was worthy. Does that make sense to you guys? All right, let's go to that last slide. So that's where, like we were talking about, hey, prayer is not this, oh, please, Lord, I suck. And thank God I'm not a sinner like those other people. <laughs> Isn't that what Jesus got after him about, praying? And the guy who was like, Lord, I deserve nothing, but I'm still asking for something. He goes, that's faith. Isn't that true? Isn't that how the Bible actually teaches it? So sin does not disqualify you. Your behavior does not disqualify you. Your distorted view of who you are disqualifies you. So I'm trying to get you that view is gone. It says once, you're, once you realize that there's nothing you can do to be offensive to God, the most offensive thing that you could do to God was kill him. And what was his response? Forgive you. That's what he was trying to show you. We've, we've, we've turned it into this, the most beautiful part of scripture where he, he demonstrates his perfect love and forgiveness to you. We've made it into God was mad and he put out all his wrath on Jesus. Well, that's weird because now we're, he's saving us from the Father and the Father's good. And the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one and God was in Christ reconciling the world, not holding their sins against him is what it says. See the difference? Because we're, if you see an angry God, you're gonna have a hard time receiving the blessings of God. But if you see him as, wow, he loves me that he would lay down his life for me? Oh, what a good God that I can go to him when I need help. Does that make sense? That's who he is. So you're perfectly loved how much sin do you have in your life? He's removed it as far as the east is from the west. Amen? He keeps no record. So if there's no record, what's the record? You deserve life. And life more abundantly. Amen? That's the whole thing. That's who Jesus came to show us. Destroy the works of the devil, which was lies about ourselves, Right? Which always produced death. He goes, I'm going to show you I've conquered sin and death. And all you can expect is life because you're in me. Amen? Does that help you guys? Hey, listen, when you tell the sinner, like, you're going to meet Jesus, he loves you perfectly, and you're worthy to be blessed, something starts to happen in their heart. You mean God still loves me the way I am? Yeah, man, he loves you perfectly. Yeah, but look at all the stuff I'm doing. No, he loves you perfectly. 
and he's gonna start to bless you like nobody's business. Man, the, the tears flow. The tears flow. There's no <clears throat> gnashing of teeth. That comes from religious teachers. Doesn't it? I'm just asking the truth. Go turn on Christian television tonight for a couple hours. See who's pissed off. <laughs> Serious. Most of them are, aren't they? And it's because their heart's not settled yet that I'm okay because Jesus, they're still struggling. I don't touch this, don't eat that, don't drink this, stop doing that, do this, do this better. Become a better steward. No, all that will keep you condemned. See that your life is in Christ and you're perfectly blessed, forgiven. Once you realize what's in his name, ask and you shall receive so that your joy will be full. He's qualified you for all of it. Amen? So he loves you perfectly. There's nothing you've done, haven't done. Uh, well, make sure you get all, everybody forgiven because then, then he can bless you. Man, what if we miss one? Right? And we, we give, and then I see these weird prayers. Lord, even the sins I don't know. Cover that one too. Well, how weird. <laughs> right? You should have no more consciousness of it. Follow me? It's, you should be totally stoked. I mean, Jesus, you mean it's that radically good news? Yeah, man, it's a good covenant. It speaks of better things. You're in him. Amen? So you're all worthy to be blessed. That help? All right. So if anybody needs prayer, you can come up. But uh, um, yeah, man, you're worthy. That's really all I want you to get. So Father, we love you. We praise you. Just let that sink into their heart. Let it just radically change their heart from the inside out that they are worthy of God's best because of one man, Jesus Christ. And all of our lives are wrapped up in him. He loves us just like he loves Jesus. He treats us just as a son like he treats Jesus. Whatever is true about Jesus is true about us. So Father, I thank you that we're perfectly blessed. We're perfectly righteous. We're perfectly holy. We're perfectly spotless in his eyes. Just give us revelation of what's in his name, that anything we ask that his name entitles us to, life, health, Prosperity, all of it, is ours as an inheritance. We don't have to work for it. We simply can persuade our hearts that we're worthy of it. And we just say thank you that you do amazing things, miracles in people's lives over the next week. In Jesus' magnificent name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. You're released in Jesus' name. If you guys need prayer, come on up. And he'll do his thing. <laughs>